Bibles, if you would, please, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, John read verses 1 through 7 earlier. Lord willing, we're going to begin an introductory look into 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, this is the last chapter of the book of 1 Peter. Uh, it'll take us a little while, I believe, to conclude our study of 1 Peter, but we have reached uh, this fifth chapter now. Um, I'd like you to understand it in its place, and I want to show you just a couple of things about this, uh, this, this passage, actually, not just the, the chapter, but uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, what it is that God is uh, wanting to make clear to us, what we can take from this, what we need to understand from the Word of God here. So uh, let's read, and then we'll pray, and then we will look at the Word of God together. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in Verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the, of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Father, there's so much just in these few verses. Lord, there's such wonderful truth here, specifically and especially in the context of loving you now in this time while we're waiting with joy unspeakable and full of glory, being able to withstand the attacks, the, the fiery trial that has come into our lives, Lord by faith, because of what you are doing, because of what you have done, because of what you have made us. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning or anybody listening somewhere else this morning that does not have the forgiveness of their sins, that does not have peace, that does not have this power that they would be able to live in the, in the age in which we are living now with such difficulty, with such attacks, Lord, that they're frustrated, they're overwhelmed, Lord, may they turn away from themselves and turn to you. Father, you can do this. I can't do this. Father, I am glad, though, to, I'm, I'm continually glad to point and to say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then, Father, to say to your children, 
looking away, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Lord, may our eyes not be on man, may they not be on uh, any church. Lord, may our eyes be upon Christ. May we receive not from my mouth, not from my words, but from your word. Lord, you say that your word will not return unto you void, but that it will accomplish the work that you send it to do. And so, Lord, we would be in your word so that you could accomplish your will in the midst of this people today. Father, be honored and glorified through these things, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, in this chapter, you notice the, the chapter begins uh, speaking to the elders. It says, the elders which are among you I exhort. Now, in the context, in the context of 1 Peter, this makes, uh, not just does it make sense, but it, it's an important uh, a necessary aspect of First Peter. Now, if you'll just put your finger here and flip back a couple of pages and go back to First Peter chapter one. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and you can follow along as I read. First Peter chapter one. Please, please follow along as I read. Uh, it's important that you understand that the word of God is quick and powerful. I believe in, in preaching. I believe that I should stand here and, and exposit or expound upon the Word of God. But I believe that the Word of God by itself is far more powerful than my preaching is. So as we read the Word of God, don't just wait for us to get past this so that I can start saying something. Ask God to feed you from His Word. Realize how important the Word of God itself is. Starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein... Ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom... Though now you see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So now if you look up here, what you'll notice here is this. This book is written to those who are strangers in the world in which they live, those who have trusted in the Christ for their salvation, and we're simply waiting for this time to be over. 
We're here for an extended period of time. I was saved when I was 22 years old, and I'm now 54 years old. So I've been saved for a number of years at this point. And I didn't understand when I was first saved how difficult it was going to be to live in an evil world while walking with a holy God. I didn't realize how much my flesh was going to complain about walking with God when my flesh was going to want its way over and over and over again in my life. I didn't realize that I've, even though I had been saved from the penalty of my sins, and I understood that the Bible taught that I had been rescued from the power of sin, I did not realize just how great that power was and how weak my own flesh was to overcome that. But I do now. Far more so, I understand the greatness of the power of God Himself, God the Holy Spirit, given as a gift to each and every one of you when you were born again. When you trusted Christ for your salvation, you immediately received the gift of God of the Holy Spirit living within you who has tremendous power. And He alone is able to conquer sin in our lives. And praise God for this. He can conquer sin. But not only can He conquer sin within our hearts, He can cause us to be able to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives even while growing in a very wicked world. Even while living here, we can have love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, long-suffering. The fruits of the Spirit that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. These things are the reality of the life of the child of God. And this is what happening in first Peter God is saying to you what do you really have do you just have church going do you understand do you just have religion do you just have a Sunday morning routine is that what you have or are you really a new creature are you really born again do you really have not just the forgiveness but the power of God changing you on the inside then it demonstrates, in verse 7 it says, that the trial of your faith, God, listen, God already knows whether you have the real thing or not. He wants you to know whether you have the real thing or not. God brings these difficulties into our lives. If we're a Christian, if we're born again, the difficulties are brought into our life to purge things out of our life that should not be in our life anymore. But if we're not a new creature, they are brought into our life to demonstrate to us that what you have, just like what he said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, oh, oh, I know this. And Jesus said, no, Nicodemus, you don't, you don't. Because it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how many Bible quizzes you can pass. The question is, do you have peace? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Not now, not on Sunday morning after we just spent the last 40 minutes singing and listening to wonderful music, praying together. Do you have peace with God in the middle of a difficult day? Do you have peace with God at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're alone with God at night? Do you have peace then? God wants you to be sure that that's what you have. Now, we don't have time to go through all of this, but we've learned together, if you go to chapter 2, verse 11, if you'll just, you can just mark this in your Bible, go back and look at it later. Starting in verse 11, the dearly beloved in verse 11, you realize that God is saying to us, in the society where you live, in the places where you go to work, in the families that you live, even if your family is unsaved, and in the church that you attend, there will be attacks but I am more than enough to overcome these attacks in your life, and you can walk with me in peace in really difficult circumstances. God does not, listen, please hear me. God does not make light of the difficulties, not at all. You know, I, I know I say it, I say it all the time. I think there's nothing, 
I read a, I read a, uh, a quote uh, either last night or this morning. And it said, um, I do not believe that it's the worst thing in life that I raise a child with special needs. I believe the worst thing in life would be to have raised a child that would pick on a child with special needs. Do you understand? I be- Listen, I, I truly believe that God purposes to bring into our lives difficulties to see so we can find out whether we really have the love of God or not. Anyone that would hurt someone else, anyone that would gossip about someone else, anyone that would pick on someone else, anyone that would look down on someone else does not know themselves very well at all. And certainly does not probably know the forgiveness of God. From the time, from the time you realize what a wretch you are, it becomes far easier to forgive everybody around you. When you understand the debt that Christ paid for you, how could you ever charge anybody for whatever it is that they owe you? Christ has freely forgiven me, me, personally. I can testify that Christ has freely forgiven me for some really terrible things. And continues, by the way, to forgive me of some really terrible things. Why would I want to point out your shortcomings? Why would I want to focus on hurting someone else? God wants us to understand. He says, I know that where you live, you might have difficult community to live in. The, co- the country you live in, the state you live in, the city you live in, just the, just the neighborhood you live in might be difficult to live in. I realize that when you go to work, your boss might not be a good person. You might be a great employee and have a terrible boss, but, and that's fine. I can be more than enough for you in that situation. Starting in chapter 3, in verse 1, he says, I know that some of you women go home to houses that have men who are not saved in it, and I am more than enough for you. At the end of it, he says, and I know that there are some men who have wives that are unsafe, children that are unsafe, and I am more than enough for that. And then he gets down to uh, verse 8 and says, finally, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing." So what he's saying here, he goes on to talk about it, is I know that where you go to church, I know that where you assemble with others, he says, love, like bre- love as brethren. Um, uh, when, I was, when I was saved, I was an air, on an aircraft carrier. And so my quote-unquote church, the assembly that I had was a very small assembly. In other words, there were probably, oh, mm, 12, 12 to 20, 12 to 20 uh, men that gathered together uh, that were born again. I'm not saying they're the only 20 men that were saved on the ship. We just happened to have a Bible study together. And, uh, we, you know, when you're on an aircraft carrier, you, are, you have a common plight, if you understand what I'm saying. You, you, you know, you're all kind of in this together. You're away from your family. Again, this is back before Facebook or cell phones. So you were away from your family and you were away from your family. And so you and so it was e- it's easy. It is very very easy to have sweet sweet fellowship 12 to 20 men meeting regularly together for a Bible study, sharing in the difficulties of life. It was really quite quite easy to be a Christian. I was really excited about it. I was looking forward to a life just like that when I came back to the United States of America. And one of the things that I realized when I came back to the United States of America is there are an awful lot of people that go to church that are not born again. 
There are an awful lot of people that go to different churches that have a lot of different ideas and everybody wants to fight about this and that and argue about this and that. And I thought, wow, this is, I remember this now. This is what kept me from Christianity to begin with. What kept me from Christianity as a young man was the fact that there was so much hypocrisy in Christianity. And by the way, that's still true, largely true in America, but that's not who Jesus is. Now let me say this about Tidewater. We're not perfect. We're not a perfect church. And I'm not saying this to speak to us as if we're better or separate, but we're here. This is where we are. We're here at Tidewater. And we can't hurt each other. We can't. We can't hurt those outside the doors. We can't. We can't be selfish, right? Not rendering evil for evil. We can't. Or railing for railing. We can't. But contrawise blessing. Someone treats you poorly and you love them. This is the power of God. This is what God wants to accomplish. This is really being set free. Amen? I have been set free to no longer have my sissy feelings hurt by things that people, are, that people do to me because they don't know any better. And by the way, we do know better and we still hurt each other. God set us free from that. Amen? I, and I would, if I could just give one invitation every Sunday, it would be this over and over and over again. How many, how many of you would say, please, God, keep me from hurting anybody else? God, please use me to be a blessing and a help to other people and keep my selfishness away so that it not get in the way of what you want to accomplish in other people's lives. Amen? And I would hope that that would be the one thing every single day, not every single Sunday, every single day that we would wake up and say, Lord, please don't let me mess up your goodness in other people's lives today. Please use me in such a way that, you, that people would see the good that, that you know, you know um, in, the, in the song the children just sang, I remember, I remember being around a man who was different. I remember being around a man who had the reality of what we're seeing in 1 Peter here in such a wonderful way that I was drawn to it in him. You understand? I wasn't necessarily drawn to him, but I was drawn to what I saw in his life. And by contrast, knew I did not have in my own life. And when he told me that what this was was Christ, I heard it as American Christianity. And I rejected it. He said, no, no, no. No, I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about the things that you grew up with. I'm telling you that Jesus is who he says he is. That you can read the word of God and trust the word of God. And more importantly, you can trust the God that gave this word. And here's what I found out. That's true. That's true. Christians will fail you. Christ will never fail you. I will fail you. I would never fail you. I would to God that I never did anything wrong as your pastor. Really, I mean that. And not to be perfect, not to be holier now, not to be better. I just don't want to mess up anything that God wants to accomplish in your life. And so what we find is this. In this chapter, God speaks to all of us that have positions of authority in the church. All of us that are preaching and teaching and caring for others. So let's look at this for just a moment. We're only going to get an introduction today. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Because I really believe that if we're going to help the world around us, it's going to be from what we learn together in church as we assemble together. And again, the word church is kind of an important truth, by the way. The word church comes from a German word, kirch. And what, it means, what that word actually means literally is belonging to the Lord. So church means belonging to the Lord. Now the Greek word that's translated church is the word assembly, a called out assembly. 
You, in, in the book of Acts, there's actually two uses in the book of Acts of a, symbol, a civil assembly. Where I grew up in Vermont, in a small town in Vermont, when I was a young man, they still had um, town meetings. And when they had the town meetings, they were in the center of town. Now, again, towns weren't big, but they did have a center. Even little towns have a center. And what they would do is they would ring the bells, and people would know that it was time to assemble for the town meeting. And anything that needed to be discussed that was, that was the business for the town would be discussed. That's a call. Listen, the ringing of the bells is the calling out from your house to come to a place to assemble. That's an assembly. What we are here is a group of people who have been called out of the world to assemble together that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a church is supposed to be. And so what he says is this. The elders which are among you. So the elders that are there in the churches, wherever they are scattered, the elders which are among you, I exhort. I want to say to them, I have something that you need to hear. Because I'm also an elder. This is what Peter's saying. And I'm a witness of the sufferings. Now this book is full of suffering, yes? Boy, how important it is. Now, again, I want you to put your finger here. I want you to go back to chapter 1, verse 8. And I want you to read this with me again, one more time. I'm just going to read verse 8. Now, whom, the antecedent to the word whom, is Jesus Christ. It's in the verse before that, verse 7. It's the last two words of the verse before that. Whom, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. That's what happens when you get saved. Even though you've never physically seen Jesus, you love Jesus. And I'll tell you what, boy, do we love Jesus. You know, you can tell somebody that's really born again because they just love Jesus. Right? You know, it's funny. Um, well, it's not really funny. It's tragic how poorly I behaved myself as a baby Christian. But when I was, I was a very violent man before I was saved. And some people made the mistake of insulting the Lord Jesus when I was a young Christian. And I did not take it well at all. Now, I realize that Jesus was not honored by my response on any level. In other words, you should never be physical with someone who says bad things about the Lord Jesus because he's above all of that. Do you understand? But boy, do we love Jesus when we're saved. Boy, are we excited about how great he is when we are saved. Notice this. Whom having not seen your love, in whom, though now you see him not yet believing, because we trust him, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, remember this. These two truths run through this book together. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory because of our Lord Jesus, even through terrible suffering because we live in this present evil world. Now, let's look at that again. With that in mind, we'll go back to chapter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of what? The sufferings of Christ. Christ didn't just suffer on the cross. You know, when you go back and read the Gospels, boy, I'll tell you what, the disciples just didn't get it. Yeah? Anybody else ever notice that? When Jesus is teaching disciples, how many of you, when you notice when Jesus is teaching disciples, you have to say to yourself, boy, you guys are really stupid. <laughs> Amen? How many of you are aware that you're just like them? Right? I was really hard on Israel in the Old Testament until I realized just how much I'm like Israel. Yes? Thank God for the grace of God. I mean, he says very, very, very plainly to Israel, because I'm not like you, Israel, you're not destroyed. If I was like you, I would destroy you. If I, in other words, if God overreacted the way we overreact, we would all be destroyed. But God does not overreact, praise God. He's a witness of Christ's sufferings. And he's also, Peter, already, a, he is a partaker of the glory that shall 
be revealed. He has already witnessed the glory that shall be revealed. And then he says this. So here's what we're supposed to do. Those of us that are elders, those of us that are more mature, those of us that are responsible for preaching and teaching, those of us have any kind of positions of authority in a local church, he says this. And there are three things. Feed the flock. That's number one. Feed the flock. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, that's the second one, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And that's number three, being in samples or being examples to the flock. So here's what God says to us. All of us that have any responsibility at all, feed the flock of God, taking the oversight willingly, and be examples. We're going to look at those three things for just a moment. What I'd like you to do is, if you keep your finger here, go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, because we're going to look at feeding the flock. What does it mean to feed the flock? Chapter 2, verse 1. God's talking to those that are new creatures now. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, right? All anger, all malice, all malice and all guile, all dishonesty, laying aside all malice, all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking, all of these things being gone in your life now as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So how, what, look, it's very simple. I know it's simple, but you need to see it as the Bible says it. How do we feed the flock? And the answer is with the word of God, with the word of God. And what it says here is this, the sincere milk of the word, right? When you're a baby, boy, this is so important. I wish people understood this better. Too many young Christians are being fed things that are not good for them. I was blessed to be separated when I was saved. I was blessed to be separated. The, guy, the person that I, the, the Bob Bornfeth, I did his funeral last year, right? the person that led me to Christ, I was blessed that he had good things for me to read as a baby Christian. And he was very careful. He said, here, Chuck, you should read this. This will be good for you. Here, Chuck, you should. And I was, I was a, an extremely hungry Christian. And so he would give me one book after another. But what he kept saying is this. Now study this book in your Bible. Study this book in your Bible. Study this book in your Bible. And, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm, not saying, I'm surely not saying this to brag. But within just a few weeks, and I mean this, in less than a month of being, after being saved, I'd read my entire Bible. Now, I could do this because I was on an aircraft carrier. You work 12 on. Now, anybody that's ever been deployed, you work 12 on, 12 off, seven days a week. Right? 12 on, 12 off. Now, by the way, while you're working, I worked with computers back when computers were really, really big and slow, right? Really, really, it took them a long time to do anything. And so I would sit in front of a, a wall of computers that were doing really important work, and I could sit there with my Bible open and read them, and the computer would actually go beep, beep, beep when it was time for me to look at it, right? And the screen would tell me what I had to do next, right? And then, and then there might be times when it didn't work like it was supposed to, and then my next couple of days were ruined by me actually having to do real work that they were paying me to do. But most of the time, I was able to sit there while the computer was doing all the work. All I had to do was just keep putting the programs in, keep hooking up the equipment that we were testing, and just proving what was right about it or what was wrong with it. And I was able to read my Bible as a hungry, now, boy, I, please read your Bible. 
You want, listen, you want to know what the best commentary on, on the book of Leviticus is? You want to write this down? I'm going to give you the, the best commentary in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is a, is a book that many people misunderstand. You want to know which, what book, which author is the best commentary in the book of Leviticus? The book of Hebrews. Right? It was said, it has been said many times, that commentaries shine much light on the Bible. And Spurgeon said many, many years ago, the Bible sheds light on all commentaries. Do you understand? Please don't misunderstand and think that you should read what men say about the Bible. Read what the Bible says about men. Far more important to you is what the Word of God says than what some man says about what the Word of God says. And boy, how we need the Word of God. So feed the flock with the Word of God. And as children, as, as babes in Christ, desire the sincere milk of the word. Here's something that happens when you're a baby Christian. Remember this, or maybe you are a baby Christian. Remember this. Remember when you were a baby Christian and you were reading and you read a passage and you thought, I don't understand much of this at all. Anybody ever have that? Raise your hand if that's true for you. Right? Raise it high. Don't be ashamed. Right? Okay. We're all morons together. Okay? We're all in this together. Right? So you're reading this and it's like, I just don't understand much of this. And boy, I tell you, one Bible teacher helped me so much with this. And this was the statement. What is clear? What is clear? Because here's how, this is what the sincere milk of the word means. When we feed a child, an infant, what do we feed it? We don't feed it corn. We don't feed it steak. We don't feed it ribs, right? We don't even feed it bread. What do we feed it? We feed it milk, right? We feed it milk. Why? Because that's where it is in its development. And by the way, is that milk good for it? It's great for it. You should see pictures of my son Andrew when he was a baby. Just this huge, fat baby, Amen. Uh, he, had, he had one diet, right? And it was doing a great job in his life. The Bible says, listen, you and I as babes in Christ are to be in the Word of God. You don't have to understand. Boy, I think you make, we make the same mistake, and that is this. Because I don't understand everything, I don't get anything. Don't do that. Stop being proud. Humble yourself. God says so in this passage. Humble yourself. Let Him give you the sincere milk of the Word. Just Focus on what you do understand. And here's what I kept realizing. Every time I was reading my Bible, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is able. Jesus is capable. But by the way, I remember reading throughout the book of Deuteronomy and thinking to myself, how do the Jews not realize that Jesus is the Christ? This entire Old Testament is all about Jesus. Everything is a picture of Jesus. The temple is a picture of Jesus. The sacrifices are a picture of Jesus. The priesthood is a picture of Jesus. The kings are a picture of Jesus. Everything is a picture of Jesus. And all I knew is this. I don't know everything, but this is about Jesus. And Jesus is greater in my life today than he was yesterday. And this should be the reality of the child of God every day. Not are you better today than you were yesterday. Is Jesus greater in your eyes today than he was yesterday? If he's not, I think you're growing the wrong way. And it's easy. Many, many churches want to puff up the membership with things, Bible knowledge kind of things. And they want to show off that Bible knowledge kind of a thing. But do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you have love? Do you care about other people? These are things that only God can accomplish in our lives. And these are accomplished as we see how great the Lord Jesus is. Feed the flock with the sincere milk. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three. Now I'm going to make reference to the, in the book of Corinthians because the book of Corinthians is going to tell us a lot 
helping us to understand what we're looking at in 1 Peter. But before I tell you about the Corinthians, let me, before we look into Corinthians, let's talk a little bit about the church at Corinth. Church at Corinth. If a church could have a problem, the church at Corinth had it. Okay? Do you want to know what the root problem at the church at Corinth is? Pride. Pride. Pride is the problem in the church at Corinth. Pride is the problem in the churches in America. This is what's wrong. Let me say this. The church at Corinth is a wealthy church. It, it, is, it is basically, the church in Corinth would be like having a church that's in New York or Boston or D.C. In other words, a large coastal area where all of the things come through as they come into the country. So the latest this and the latest that came through Corinth. And the Corinthian church had the latest and greatest speaker all the time. I call it the evangelist of the month, right? Whoever the evangelist of the month, whoever the popular preacher is in that circle, he came to the church at Corinth. And I really, and I mean this with all my heart, I really believe that they put bills up. What I mean by that is uh, signs, right? They put posters up saying, coming this month, the Apostle Paul, the greatest preacher on the planet. And then they despised him when he got there because he preached a very low message when he got there. And this is what he said. I couldn't preach the things that you wanted me to preach because you're already too arrogant. So when I was there, I, I knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. The lowly things of the gospel. Oh, how we need the lowly things. Listen, if you're, listen, if you're going to church, if you're going to a church because of how great the church is, then you're going to the wrong church. You need to go to a place where Jesus is great. Because Jesus is great, and that church isn't. And this church isn't. Jesus is great, and we need to understand that. So let's see what he says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as, as Paul is uh, writing this letter to them. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but, as, but unto carnal, even as unto, even as unto babes in Christ. Now look. If you're a babe in Christ, it's okay that you have to be taught as a babe in Christ. But the Corinthian church should have had some people in it that were more mature already. They had people who had been saved long enough to be more mature. But notice what he says. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there are among you envy and strife and division... Are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos has watered, but God gave the increase. Do you see this? So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth but God that giveth the increase. Amen? This is the focus. But what I wanted you to notice is this. There is milk and there is meat, but it's all what? The Word of God. There is milk and there is meat, but it's all the Word of God. As we continue to grow, we study the book of Proverbs. We have a, a group of men that meets regularly and we read a, read a book of Proverbs. Nobody that reads the book of Proverbs on Thursday night, you know, I remember Dr. Watson saying months and months ago when we were reading on Thursday night, he said, I'm coming to realize that I'm not the wise man in the chapter. I'm the fool in this chapter. And as long as we are all aware that we are not in ourselves wise, 
we can continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. This is what God wants us to understand by being fed the Word of God. Being fed the Word of God as someone that needs it, not as somebody who's becoming brilliant. Now, the second thing we look at, if you go back, you can go run back to just a moment, back to chapter 5, First uh, Peter chapter 5. It's taking the oversight. Taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. What I'd like you to do is go, go with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 20, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. This is talking about being in positions of leadership, actually having the oversight, having to plan things, having to be in, in charge of things that come up on the calendar. Who's going to be here? Who's going to do this? That kind of a thing. For all the promises of God in Him, and our Lord Jesus Christ, are yea and in Him, Amen unto the glory of God by us. Now he which established us with you is in Christ, and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Now look at Pierre for a moment. Such an important passage. Here's the problem. The Corinthian church had not repented of their arrogance. They had not repented of their pride. They were not walking in humility. They were not growing like they were supposed to. They wanted Paul to come back and teach them some more. And this is what he said, I can't come yet. Why? Because you're not ready for me to come back yet. If I came back the way you're behaving yourself now, in a very real sense, it would be like sending your child into the room and saying, when you're, when you're ready to talk, let me know and we can talk. But if you're going to throw a fit when I get back in there, we're not ready to talk. Do you understand? I can't come to talk to you if you're going to misbehave because I don't want to have to rebuke you when I get there. That's what Paul's saying. But this is so important because it says taking the oversight. But notice what he says. He's not saying them, look, I'm really important. I'm an apostle. I'm somebody. You're not. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. You're missing out on what God wants for you. You're missing out on what God wants to give you because of your pride. And I don't want to come and have you miss out on what God has because of your pride. Notice what he says in verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of what? Your joy. Look, look up here. If you have any responsibility in preaching and teaching the word of God, I have this responsibility right here, right now. This is what I want you to understand. I'm not up here to tell you how to live your life. I'm up here to tell you you can have a life of joy. But you've got to let Jesus be Lord in your life. You've got to let Jesus be Lord in your life. You can't be Lord in your life and have a good life. You want to know why? Listen, you want to know why you can't let Jesus, I mean, excuse me, you want to know why you can't be Lord of your life and have a good life? Because you're not a good Lord. Do you understand? You're not smart enough to run your own life. You don't know everything you think you know, right? You've heard the statement, if you have a question, ask a teenager. They know everything, right? 
I, 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 I'm not joking when I say this. I remember when I turned 21, right? I remember on my 21st birthday, sitting with a friend of mine, and I turned to him and I said this, I think my father's smarter than I thought he was. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? I said, can you, uh, can you fix an engine? And he said, no, no, we're, we're engineers. I said, no, but can you fix an engine? And he said, no. I said, neither can my dad. I said, my dad doesn't even understand how an outlet works. I said, my dad can fix an engine. My dad can pour a concrete slab. My dad can frame a building. I couldn't do any of that. Here's the point that I'm making. I thought I was really smart. And I had scores that proved that I was really smart. But I could not fix an engine. I know people with earned doctors that can't change their own oil. Right? I know people that, when I said that, said, you can change your own oil? <laughs> I thought that's what those buildings all over the place were for. They can do it in five minutes. Yeah, you can do it. Save yourself a lot of money. We are not as smart as we think we are. Look, you want to have joy? Honestly, do you want to have joy? Then turn away from your own intellect. Let the Word of God teach you. This is the whole point. The idea of having oversight. Oversight in the church is not authority. It's simply following Jesus in such a way that others can follow that. You want to be a good leader? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus in such a way that somebody can look at you and say, I'm going to follow Jesus like he is. I'm going to follow Jesus like she does. I'm going to follow Jesus like that. That's what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Not for money, not for power, not for authority, but to be an example. By the way, you want to see that? That's the third one. Go, to, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just, just a couple pages back from where you are now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the first two verses of chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says this. This is the idea of being an example. Be, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you, remember, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them unto you. So here's what he's saying. We are to be, look, look, look. When I was a teenager, I come, from a I, I come from a family of drunks. When I was a teenager, all of my uncles, my uncle, the, the world calls it highly functional alcoholism, okay? All of my uncles did really well in business. My, and my dad did also. They all drank, and they all drank too much. Family, and I'm not joking when I say this, and I'm not being mean. My family will hear this. Some of my family will hear this. And they may be hearing it now. The, the uh, family reunion was over when one uncle was being pulled off of another uncle and being dragged to the car. I don't know if any of you ever grew up like that. I don't know if any of you had that kind of a life. That's what I had. It's a life of, it's a life of a family of, of it's really drunks. The, the, the world calls it alcoholism. I learned that behavior. Our children, you didn't matter what you say to your children. It matters how you live. If your children, if your children are selfish, they're all born selfish. But if they stay selfish, that's a you problem. Because they're learning it from us. If your children are haughty, superior, arrogant, that's a you problem. Because they're learning that from us. Do you understand? If the church is going to be what it should be, Everybody who has a position of authority has to have this quality, and that's humility. 
not thinking highly of themselves. Listen, if we, if, we, if, we, if we voted in pastors that had humility, it would change the churches of America. But we want our pastors to be great, right? We want great pastors. We want pastors with, 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 with degrees and this and that. But you know you don't. You want spiritual pastors. You want men who know the love of Jesus. I'll tell you what, when you guys, I mean, I've been now, what, 13 years, the senior pastor? When you guys voted me as a senior pastor, I was not ready to be a senior pastor. I was not ready to be much of anything, quite honestly. And I thank God for the change. That really, I truly do. I thank for God for your sake for the change that God has made in my life. It's not enough to know your Bible. It's not enough to be able to preach. It's not enough. We, if not, listen, listen. If you're teaching Sunday school and think you should be teaching Sunday school, you probably shouldn't be teaching Sunday school. But if you're teaching Sunday school and know that you have no power to help these children, then you're in the right place. Because these children need help, but not yours. You need help, but not mine. Do you understand? Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what God says. That's what ensamples are. That's what leadership is. Now turn back. We're almost done. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll finish up uh, this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, right? Not as being lords over God's heritage, says in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Not as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And doing this, if we do this, when the chief shepherd, praise God for the chief shepherd, Amen. I'm glad to be the under-shepherd here, here at Tidewater, but praise God that the chief shepherd is coming. Yes? Yes? I am looking forward to being relieved forever, if you understand what I'm saying. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, by the way, you, we've all seen what happens to these crowns in the book of Revelation, right? What happens to these crowns that we're given for serving Jesus? Where do they go? They go to, that's, here's the thing, we don't even hand them to him. We just toss them at his feet. Right? Because, listen, a crown of glory that fadeth not away looks better at Jesus' feet than it does on your head. Because if you've done anything good, if I've done anything good, we're very, very aware that God the Holy Spirit is the one that actually did it. We're very, and Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send him. He's going to teach you. He's going to empower you. He's going to change everything. And praise God. By the way, if you don't have that, something's missing in your life. Jesus sent forth the Holy Ghost, not just so that we could know things, but that we could be changed. And thank God for that change. So a crown of glory that fadeth not away that you're just going to drop at his feet. And thank God for that, honestly. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. I remember... Uh, Probably every person teaches their child this verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Anybody teach your child that verse? If you haven't, you need to teach them that one. You need to put it right on, there, right, right on the refrigerator. Amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I remember when my son, Chris, was learning that verse. And I said, Chris, can you, can, can you quote that verse? And he said, children is right. <laughs> and that's what's wrong with America right there. Amen. Children is right. No, that's not all of it. No. <laughs> Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And here's the thing. Listen, look at this. And be clothed with humility. That's it. Isn't that it? Come to church clothed in humility. Right? Modest apparel is important. Not drawing attention to our body is important. But that's, that's a given if you're clothed in humility, right? If you came to church in order to, to present an image of yourself that is a lofty image, you don't have the humility that you should have to be in any position of authority at all. 
None of us should have anything but a clothing of humility. And this is why. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. There's so much here. We're going to have to come back here. I can't finish this. I, I wanna, I'm going to say this and I'm going to pick up here this next week. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now here's, here's how you can picture this, okay? God resisteth the proud. The way I learned this Anybody, does anybody watch football? Raise your hand if you, the people that watch football understand this, okay? Okay, football. A running back has one real defense, right? Anybody know what a running back's defense is? A stiff arm, right? A running back is not allowed to punch people as he runs down the field, right? But, but he is allowed to put his arm out and lock his arm like this and, and, and keep people away. And you'd be surprised how well a stiff arm works, okay? I understood this verse, I do understand this verse, to teach this. If you are proud, God holds his arm like this and says, you can't come any closer than that to me. But if we'll humble ourselves, he giveth grace. Do you need grace? I need grace. Are you tired of the stiff arm from God? Well, humble yourself and, let him, and draw close to him. Draw close to God in humility and allow him to give you the great grace that you need in your life. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty, verse 6 says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. By the way, when is that due time? When it's over, right? Right? I'm, listen, you, if you serve God faithfully, believe it or not, there is coming a day when he is going to give you those crowns. He is. He will exalt you and say this. And listen, you didn't do anything great but say yes to God. That's what, you want to know what great is? Say yes to God. I would like to use you to go visit so-and-so, right? Okay, Betty, would you raise your hand? Betty, would you raise your hand? Okay, Betty McNichols, she's over 20, okay? She's over 40, as a matter of fact, okay? Just a, just a little while ago, she had the privilege of leading one of the nurses where she, where she is in a nursing home to Christ, okay? And then they invited her, would you please come visit this woman who's under hospice care because she needs to be sure of her salvation. The, they came to get her and brought her there and she was able to talk to this person about her eternity, about her soul. And this woman is also saved and going to heaven. Amen? Now, is there, is there a reward for her being willing to be used of God in that way? There is. And she'll get, and I really believe that, she will get reward for this. And here's what she's going to do with her reward. Thank you, Jesus. Because you, you worked in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. That's what God is doing. That's what's going on. Then we'll get to verse 7. And boy, I tell you what, verse 7 is so important. Verse 7 is important. It's important today. I just don't have time. I wish I had time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. If you have anything, I'll just say this in, in, in closing before we get to it next week. If you have anything that you're concerned about, you need to cast it on Jesus because you're not strong enough to carry it. And we'll talk about that next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this time together today. Lord, I ask you that you would continue to use your word and your own Holy Spirit to bless us. Father, continue to, to work in our hearts in such a way that the people around us who are trapped in anger and frustration and confusion, we could simply point them in peace to the one that is able to rescue them. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for saving me from me. I thank you for saving so many people that are in this room from themselves, from this world, from their sins. But Father, I thank you more for changing us. 
I thank you that you didn't just give us the forgiveness of sins and leave us the wretch that we were, but that you are working in our hearts in such a way that you're conforming us to the image of your Son. We are not worthy of any of this. We deserve none of this. But we are grateful and we are glad for the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, would you bless everybody in this room with the forgiveness of sins and the, your power to change them. Would they care about it? Would they, Lord, would they be at, have no rest until they have real rest, peace with God? Thank you, Father, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.